morning harvest. Uh, I think we can do better than that. Good morning. All right. You guys know better. I don't let you get away with that. Um, If you want to follow along today, we're going to start in Psalm 147.5. As you find your way there, I kind of want to tell you a a story real quick. Um, For me, it's always been the same when uh, it comes time to, to write a sermon. I get very excited. I get pumped. I get fired up. Um, I feel like I have to get it out of me or, or I'm just going to burst. In fact, this one was, was so bad, I even approached Brian, I think, a month or two in advance, and I said, hey, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but the next time you need it filled, I call dibs. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that or not, but that's what I did. Um, I just had to get it out of me. But then what always happens, like clockwork, the morning of, I wake up, and I'm, I'm nervous. I, I, I try to be calm, cool, collected on the outside, but on the inside, I just I get super nervous. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to beat it this time. I'm going to uh, throw on the sharpest suit I got. I'm going to just feel good, 10 foot tall, and I'll have confidence through the roof. So I put it on, and I walk out in the living room, and the two people in the world that are the, probably the best for my ego, my wife and my mother-in-law, I say, how do I look? And they said, it's too small. Don't button it. <laughs> so, okay. Confidence was lowered a little bit, and we get in the car to come over here. And for whatever reason, my brain pulls this memory up, and it's so clear. I'm instantly back at the, the shop when I bought this suit. It was like 12 years ago. And the salesman said, you know what? How old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm 20. And he said, yeah, you're going to grow. Let's, let's give you, I think he sold it two sizes too big, and it's still too small. So whatever confidence I had was gone. So I'm back to being nervous. I'm driving over here, and I immediately go into prayer. And I'm just talking to him like, man, I don't know. I'm, my nervousness is coming back. And I feel him say, what are you doing? You're about to talk about my hands, and the first thing you do is jerk it out of my hand. And um, so God just has a way of humbling you, even if it's right before your sermon. I only tell you that story not to be cute or anything, but I want you to take note because that was the whole point today was to talk about his hands. And I guess I just want you to see how easy it is for us to just jerk things right back from him and try to take control. So let's begin. Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Father God, thank you so much for giving us another day, for, um, for humbling us, Father God, when we need it the most. Lord God, I ask that you bless this message, that it's, that it's well received, that it falls on good soil. Father God, I ask that you bless my words, give me, give me the words to speak. Father God, just, just give me the wisdom. We, we rely on you today. Father God, we want to share a victory in your name. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that was my starting verse, uh, only because I wanted to talk about how big God is. That's what I got fired up about. I thought, man, our God is huge, and I want to talk about that. And I know we hear that all the time. I mean, all the way from when we're kids, we hear, God's big, you're small. I I, I get it. But I want to talk about how big he actually is. And when I started that, I kind of went, wow, well, I only have 30 minutes. Maybe I better scale it down a bit. And so I took some advice from a story. Uh, there was a preacher one time who was new. He moved into town, so he got his new church going. 
And for, I think it was about a year, he only preached one verse at a time. That's as far as he would go. And this was kind of making the congregation a little upset. And so after one of the services, uh, someone met him at the door, kind of upset. And they said, what, what are you doing? Why do you only go one verse at a time? Like, what, what, what's your deal? Why is that? And he said, that's all you guys can handle right now. And so I thought, well, in the spirit of that, what can we handle right now? And so that led to his hands. And I, I wanted to talk about how big his hands are. And not in a cheesy sense either. Not in a sense of, oh, his hands are so big, he could give us all a giant hug if he wanted to. Not, no, I really want to talk about how big his hands are. And the thing about that is, is I think we all can relate because we all need a hand. Yes? At one time or another, even maybe right now in your life, you need a hand. And I don't know at what aspect. Could be financial, could be relationships, I don't know. But I know we all need a hand. And the thing about hands is if you wanted someone's hand, say if, my goodness, if I wanted to lift that piano up on top of here for whatever reason, I'm probably not going to ask the, the children, right? You want to know what hand you're getting. So what kind of hands does he have? For this, we're going to start in Isaiah 40. Uh, and kind of just work our, our way through, really. Starting off at verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Notice he has measuring powers with his hand. It says he has all the waters in the hollow of his hand. That's the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean. Don't make me list more. That, that's all I know off the top of my head. All the gulfs, the lakes, the ponds, the streams, the puddles. And even the moisture we've been getting over the past few days, every single drop is in the hollow of his hand. Take notice, too, it says the hollow of his hand. That's not even the entire hand. All the waters in the universe set in that little spot right there. It's not even the entire hand. It's just the hollow of the hand. When I saw that, uh, I love Genesis, just reading about the creation. I, I love that. All of a sudden, Genesis uh, 1, 2 I don't know why I didn't print that out. One, two made sense to me. And the earth was without form, and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So all we have is water, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, does that not make sense now? The entire waters in the universe sets in his hand, and his face is setting upon that, looking down. It's just a perfect image. Notice, too, it's in his hands. Everything with God, when he's intimate, it's in his hands. And starting even with all the waters. It makes sense now, too, when Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I shall give, never shall thirst again. I want that water. Moving on uh, to uh, the next verse. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. That term comprehended is just another uh, form for measure. But he's got com comprehending power with his hands. All the dust of the earth, every dust particle. Now, I tried to look up how many dust particles would be in the earth, and I could not find an answer, which makes sense, because God knows that. There's no way we could. But I did find something interesting. Uh, they could figure up in a household how much dust we collect. So in a household, in a year, it says we can collect up to 40 pounds of dust particles. And the average person, just sitting there for an hour, two million dust particles 
will fall off of you. That's your dead skin cells. And this is the weird fact. 80% of that 40 pounds of dust is you. So when I saw that, I had two thoughts immediately. The first thought was, we need to get out of the house because we're falling apart in our own homes. And the other was, God has all that counted. All the dust particles counted in his hand. And there's, I think I made a joke with a prayer this morning. There's 8 billion people. Is that correct? Somewhere around there. Okay, must be true. Uh, 8 billion people, and then every hour, 2 million dust particles are falling off of your skin. And he has all that counted at any moment. We are dirty people. In fact, Paul agrees with that statement. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, I love Paul because he can be blunt. And he was being blunt there, but he said it in a nice way. What he's saying is we have this treasure, Christ, in us. And he calls us earthen vessels. Earth, right? Weak, dirt, vessels, like a bag. We have Jesus Christ in dirt bags. That's the, he's hitting the nail on the head with that one. Uh, so, fellas, I hate to break it to you. Anytime your woman calls you a dirt bag, she's just preaching the truth. You can just say amen. She, she's, she's got you figured out. Um, good news for the ladies, you don't come from the dirt, right? That was guys. We come from the dirt. You come from the rib. So you're secondhand dirt. And I, don't, I don't know if that's any better or not. So moving on, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. I thought that was pretty interesting because we've climbed mountains, right? I mean, the tallest mountain in the world, and we put up a sign and it says, it's this feet high, and we've conquered that mountain. And we kind of puff our chests up, and we, we think that's a big deal. But he says, no, I, the mountains and the hills I have in a balance, holding in a scale. At any moment, he could tell you the weight of that mountain. And you think, well, yeah, that's kind of cool, but also that changes from any given moment. You see, because of the way the tectonic plates work, and how much erosion has taken place, that mountain could weigh different the very next day. He says, at any moment, I got those in a balance, and I could tell you how much they weigh. <clears throat> I just thought that was funny, because we kind of get puffed up, and we're, and we're, we're proud of, of what we can do. Uh, that got me to thinking, just because of the next verse coming up, we are pretty proud people. And America, we're pretty bad at that, too. We're a proud country. Now, don't walk out of here thinking I'm bashing America. That's not what I'm doing. I love this country. It's the best country. That's what I'm saying here. But we have problems. And I love this, Isaiah 40, 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. So it's funny because we get, we get pretty proud, especially of our country. We like to brag and boast. And he says, yeah, I'm holding everything out here. And all those nations you get puffed up about, that's just a speck of dust on there. Just a drop in the bucket. That's nothing. And then he's not done there. And, uh, next verse 17, he says, All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing. That there means you are less than zero or the zero with the edge rubbed out. That's what he thinks of the nations when he looks down. And then he's not done I really felt bad about reading this, but it said, and vanity. 
All nations before him are as nothing. They're accounted to him less than nothing and vanity. That word vanity there means formless, emptiness, without shape. He says, your nations, all those nations, they're nothing. They're formless. They're empty. You think, my, okay, <laughs> well, tell me the truth. Uh, how do you really feel? So that's how he looks down, when he looks down at the nations, what he sees. Oh, okay. Um, what about when he sets uh, on top of us and he looks down at the entire world? Right? Surely that's different. That's got to be more impressive. The entire world, I mean, we know how big that is. Well, what's, he look, what's he see when he looks down at us? Isaiah 40, 22, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as curtain, and spreadeth them, spread them out as a tent to dwell in. So not much better. When he looks down on this entire world today, he says, y'all look like grasshoppers living in pump tents. So not very impressive. But then I couldn't help but think, my goodness, if he looks down at us and that's what he sees, this great big world, what does the world look like that he lives in? Notice next, he's got meeting power. And meted out the heavens with a span. That word meted out means to stretch, to fix into place. And heaven there means just the visible arch, the things that we can see. Well, what are the things we can see? The sun, the moon, and the stars. It says he fixed all that into place. And I love this. The word span there is very cool. Span kind of means a couple things. It's a unit of measurement, about from the thumb to the end of the finger. But it's also that same thing as a gesture. So what that means right there is he made it in a span. Everything we look up and see, sun, moon, and stars, he did it in a gesture. I'm going to show you it. Don't miss it. Did you catch that? He said he did it in a span. The sun, the moon, and the stars, he did this right here. That was it. I thought, could that be right? Because surely, I don't know, I'm kind of theatrical. Maybe he did, you know, more of a bigger gesture, maybe with the hands or something. Nope, Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I consider thy heavens, thy work of thy fingers. Just the fingers. I mean, I want to talk about how big his hand is. My goodness, his fingers made everything. I, I love to look at the stars, you guys. And he just went out there and went, that's it. There you go. And I, I couldn't help but also think, you know, have any of you ever made something, a meal, a piece of furniture? I don't know, anything. Have you ever made anything? I tend to get kind of proud and it's, if it's a gift for my wife, I kind of go, man, I hope she likes it and I hope she tells her friends about it pretty cool that I built this, right? If I made a star, not even all the stars, if I made one star, I'd be famous. I'd write books, I'd sell out, they'd make movies, and I'd probably go down in history because everyone would teach how this man made a star. So I thought, oh my goodness, I love Genesis. I'm going to go back again, just prepare for this sermon, and I want to read about how he made the stars. Like, surely there's a couple chapters or something in there about the stars, Genesis 1.16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, 
and the lesser light to rule the night. Oh, here it comes. He made the stars also. It was it. Five, five words. That's all he gives the attention to the stars. It's almost like he said, oh, yeah, also, all those stars you see out there, I made them too. Like all those twinkle twinkles you see out there, you can't even count. You can't see them with the, the human eye. All of them out there because they're so far away, yeah, I made them too. Which makes sense that it was only five words long if he just did this and all the stars came in to existence. Notice the persuasion power he has, too, in, in Job. We're kind of jumping all over now. Job 12, 9 through 10. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Well, you might say to yourself, well, what's persuasive about that? When you look what is in his hands, you might think, I better behave in a, in a proper way. Job says, and the breath of all mankind sets in his hands. If God says you stop breathing, you stop breathing. I don't care how good of a person you think you are. I don't care if you have the best doctors in the world, if you've been a good family man, if you've worked hard your entire life. If God says you stop breathing, you stop breathing. He says he has the soul of every living thing too. He decides when you go. And here's why it's persuasive. You do not have to go to heaven if you do not want to. You don't have to go to hell if you don't want to. But you can't stay here. You can't stay here. All of that sets in his hands. I saw that and I thought, my goodness, I would want to be in a harmonious relationship with that hand if he ever got mad at me and wanted to shake things up. Just going, before I go on any further, who, who needs a hand today? I mean, just after hearing that, you, you think to yourself, I'm hoping by now you think to yourself, why would I ask anyone else for a hand when I could give it to him? When I see how big his hands are. I notice going on from that, um, just about worrying and going, where do I set in his hand? Would he forget me? Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion of a son in her womb? It's kind of interesting that it would start with that because when you hear what a mother forget its own child, you kind of go, no. I know the love of a mother. It's strong. But then it goes on and it says, yea, they may forget. And you kind of think about that and you go, well, my goodness. When you look at today, and it's, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. It's been going on for a long time. But we serve self. And I know we talk about it in youth group a lot. Um, the topic of abortion is, is crazy. So we know, yeah, the, even the love of a mother can be given up just for self. And so that's actually a fair comparison because now he, he ends it with saying, yet will I not forget thee. He continues with, behold, I love this, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Notice the printing power of his hands. That word graven means to etch in, to carve in. Your names are on his hands. That's not to be erased, right? It's not a temporary tattoo. You're carved in his hands. And I love that too because it shows, it's like he's not afraid to show the world that he's claiming you, right? It's not like a tattoo you hide on your, under your shirt or something. It's on his hands. You're carved in. 
Notice in uh, John, the preservation power, John 10, 28 through 30, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Underline that word never in your Bible. Circle it. Highlight it. Put an exclamation mark there. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. He says, don't you worry. If you are in my hands, I got you. No one is plucking you out. And on top of that, the Father who is greater than me, I'm in his hands. My goodness, when you read that, you think, trouble couldn't find me even if it wanted to. Yet we still worry. We could be, we could, Jesus, the man himself, tells us that. And we still worry. People love to worry. Now, I'm guilty of it too, of worrying. I try to act like I, I don't, but we all have our worries. I've, real quickly, and I apologize, I don't know why I didn't print this off. Jesus spoke on worrying, and I just, I love how repetitive he is. Um, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Nine verses, I believe, and in nine verses, five times he says, don't worry, don't worry. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. And he says this on and on by taking thought. Take no thought. Therefore, take no thought. He says it over and over again. Quit worrying. He's talking to him. But he doesn't just say that, right? He never just leaves you with that. He gives you an example. He gives you something else to do. What does he tell him to do here? He says, go bird watching. He says, go bird watching. Go look at the birds. And you think, why, why would I do that? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. You guys ever seen birds out there with their little overalls, plowing up some dirt, planting some seeds, and watering it behind? No, you're not, you're not going to see that. As cute as that would be, you're not going to see it. They don't worry about that. And yet he says, aren't you much greater than they? And he takes care of the birds daily. I looked this up because I thought this was interesting. Or rather, I've, I uh, heard this preached the other day. Someone figured up how much it would cost to feed all the birds in the world for just a day. And it would cost $35 billion a day to feed all the birds in the world. They go, okay, well, if God decided to shut that off, how would we take care of the birds? Well, Bill Gates, he's worth $70 billion, so that would be two days. Uh, Trump is worth $10 billion. That would be a third of the day. And the Clintons, they're worth $200 million. Well, that's kind of just a snack, really. So you quickly start to go, my goodness, we couldn't even take care of the birds for maybe a week? Not even. And he takes care of them every day. They do not worry. And we are much greater than that. It's almost like he's saying, if I would do that for the birds, what would I do for my adopted, born-again, justified, righteous, soon-to-be-glorified children? We've got to quit worrying. I heard this also preached a couple weeks ago, and I, and I, I kind of forced this in here just because I, I really loved it. Just another piece of advice on worrying. Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When I heard that, I thought, I, I, that doesn't help, help me with worrying. I, I've heard that many times and that didn't bother me and just the way you say it changes it completely let the redeemed of the lord say so let the redeemed of the lord say so 
So? Right? Life is hard. So? Man, my marriage is not going so good right now. I don't know what to do. So? Job's tough. They're cutting people. I don't know what's going to happen. So? Listen, I'm not trying to belittle anything you're struggling with in your life right now. But if you are redeemed, my goodness, you have a lot to be joyful for. So don't just end it with so. Say, you know, my goodness, life is hard. So? I'm redeemed. You can always be joyful about that. One more example of his, his hands, and this is my favorite one. Uh, just another example of how big and strong his hands are. His hands have saving power. You see, the reason why I wanted to go through that kind of list of everything is I wanted to show you everything he has in his hands so far. He's ha- he has all the waters in the universe. Still, somehow he works a gesture in to make all the stars. He has everything in a balance. He's got your names etched in. Everything else he has in there, and somehow he still had enough room to drive a stake dead center of that. Still had enough room for that. And then his hands are strong enough not only to hold his own body weight up there, because that's what happens is your body gives out eventually, and all that's holding you up is your hands. As if that wasn't enough, while he's up there, we place our sin up on top of him. He became sin for us. So I'm going to take a a wild guess here, but I'm assuming every single one of you have had a sin in your life that you you didn't even want to get out of bed in the morning because it just weighed down on you that much. That's your own sin. Now imagine the people that are alive today were alive, that will be alive, all that sin bearing down on those two hands. That's the weight that was placed on them, and they didn't budge one bit. So I'm asking you again, do you need a hand? Because we have some big hands offered to us. And I don't know where you stand on your salvation, but his hand is there. I don't know where you stand in, in life if you're struggling with something. His hand is there. I I guess I also want to tell you, don't be too proud. Don't try to walk around your entire life with your struggles and your sin in your own hands because you're going to get tired. You're not going to be able to hold it up. And I, and I, I say that from experience. I tried that my entire life, almost my entire life. You see, I, to, to this day, I have an addiction that still looks just as beautiful to me now as it did when I got hooked. The only difference is, is I got tired of carrying that garbage, right? I, I didn't serve Christ. I served, I served freedom. I kept trying to get free from this sin. And it's when you finally just say, I, I, can't, I can't do this. You have to carry this. I, I don't, is that sin attractive? Yes, but I hate it now. I hate what it did to my heart. I hate it what it did to my mind. I, I have no time to waste on it. And so you give it to them. We all need that hand, and I don't know what aspect, so I can't speak for you. Studying that a little bit further, um, there was a saying that popped up into my head, and I, I don't know why, but I thought of the saying, um, what is it, uh, when you hit bottom, the only way to, to go is up? Is that how it goes? Somewhere along there. Like, that's supposed to cheer us up. If you hit bottom, there's nowhere else to go but up. And 
you, you read this passage and you, you kind of go, man, don't ever say that again because it's not accurate. Psalm 41 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the merry clay and set my feet upon a rock. This person, if it was just a regular pit, right, bottom, probably would have just said pit. It's horrible. Why? Because the bottom isn't enough. It's merry clay. Here's what happens when you fall into something like that. You hit bottom, and then you keep sinking. That's why I don't like that saying now. When I saw that, I thought, that's, that's not right. This person is going to sink, and if they do not get a hand, that's it. They're not going to make it, so... Don't make struggles this, this light, funny thing. If I hit bottom, I'm coming back up. No, you need a hand. Otherwise, it's going to consume you. It's going to take over. And of course, he does offer you that hand, and he sets your feet upon a rock. Who's that rock? That was a, that's an F. Who's that rock? Thank you. And established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth. I love that. Uh, can, uh, continuing on with that, just the use of his hands as he pulls you up. Isaiah 49, 10 and 13, I was told this by a friend. I will uphold thee with the right hand, for the Lord thy God will hold your right hand. Right? It's personal. It's so intimate with him. And I had that verse explained to me by my friend. It's not... It's not this, the left hand and the right hand walking along. It's, I, kiddo, I got you. I got you, man. And I just love that visual. Continuing on with, uh, he put a new song in my mouth. You better believe when you realize how personal and intimate what he did, you're going to have a new song in your mouth. You see, for me, gosh, I don't, I don't this might make you flinch. But even as a kid, when I was told Jesus died for all of you, that did nothing for me. That did not excite me. It wasn't until I realized he died for me. Business picked up in my soul. I mean, that makes my heart swell when I think about what he did for me, for us. And he couldn't fake it. He had to go through with what he did. That made me go into a verse, uh, just because I love the proof that we have. We're going over an apologetic series in our youth group, and I, just, I love going over proofs, evidences that we have of everything taking place. And uh, I'm sure you've heard this, uh, John 19, 33 through 36. This is where they sent out the two soldiers to break Jesus' legs. Because what happens on the, when they crucify you is, it actually should take days because you sit up there and struggle. And so to speed it up, they come out and they break your legs so that all the weight is bearing down and you can't breathe. So they send them out, and this is what they see. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and then blood and water came out. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. For these things were done that the scripture shall be fulfilled. Now, when I read this, uh, 
it's embarrassing. But I, so I was preparing this a couple nights ago. My mother-in-law is on the couch over here. My wife is here. And I'm reading that, and I don't know how I missed these last two verses. Because I know that story, that they went out to break his legs. Somehow I had never read these last two, and when it hit me, I just started to cry. And my body shrunk, because I thought, this is embarrassing. I don't want these girls to just see me crying on the couch for no reason. But here's what it was. So the scripture should be fulfilled. That was one. I did not know this is one of the prophecies, that a bone of him shall not be broken. The reason why that brought tears to me is because, for one, that's cool, that another thing was fulfilled. No bone would be broken. But what got me when I read that, a bone of him shall not be broken, I thought they could not break Jesus. And they tried. Oh, my goodness, they tried. You guys know, I don't want to get too graphic, but you know everything he went through. Right, They started hitting him in the face, spitting on him, ripping out his beard. And then the scourging, which, again, I don't want to get too graphic, but it was built up of like nine um, whips on the end of one, and it had glass and beads and rock in it. And when that would come down on you, it would beat you, but it would rip flesh off. And it just kept going deeper and deeper. And it wrapped around you so it could break ribs, and it would pull flesh off the back and the sides. It was terrible. Then they stuck the crown on him, big, big thorns on your head. Your head bleeds a lot, so the blood probably ran down his face. And then they said, you have to carry this cross 650 yards. And again, I didn't know this until preparing this. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us how bad he would be, be beaten. It says he would be disfigured. It wouldn't even resemble a man. That's how bad he was beaten, flesh falling off of him. So as he's walking through the crowds, people are making fun of him. They're still spitting and mocking him, but they're also turning back in horror because it does not resemble a person anymore. That's how bad he was beaten. Then he's nailed to the cross. And as he's being nailed, he's offered this this mixture of of wine and kind of a medicine. It it should have acted as an anesthesia. And he refuses it. He refuses it because he has to endure everything that's about to take place. And then he's hung on the cross to endure this pain of this constant shifting back and forth from your feet to your hands. Because you sit and hang on your hands, but you can't breathe. So to get your next breath, you take everything in you, and you fight it, and you stand up on your two feet, which is stuck to the cross as well, and you try to get a little breath. That's what's taking place. And before he goes, he's he's not done. He speaks seven times now everything that is going on how bad they disfigured him they mocked him they spit on him they put him up on there what's the the first thing he says father forgive them for they know not what they do i'm fleshly if if you do me wrong i don't like to admit this i'm not proud of it but i'm i'm an eye for an eye kind of guy right i know you know what you did and so i'm i'm gonna get back I know they know what they did. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's this first thing he says. Now, mind you, he's fighting for every breath he got. And instead of taking a breath, he stands up so that he can speak that line. Forgive them. The next line is, (laughs) to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Still encouraging while he's on the cross. 
Then the third, the third uh, line he says, he looks at his mother. Woman, behold thy son. Then he looks at the disciple, behold thy mother. He looks at them too and he says, take care of each other, guys. Take care of each other. Like he's setting up for his mom before he can leave. Just you guys take care of each other. This next one hurts a little bit because we know everything he's going through physically. This next line only makes sense if it's a spiritual pain. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As if the physical pain wasn't enough. I can't imagine how bad his spirit is hurting right now. Now these next two, I love because I can't help but think it kind of reminds me of you know like when a, in a movie when the bad guys catch the good guy and they're trying to beat some information out of him or whatever, they're, they're, they're hitting him and, and they're asking him questions and he won't speak and they finally stop for a second and they say, do you have anything to say? And then our hero usually says like, is that all you got? Right? He says something like that. I love these next two lines. You've got to imagine again, he has to stand up to, t- to, to say this. He says, I thirst. Almost as if to say, Everything you just did to me, man, I'm thirsty. Now, I'm not trying to make light of it, but because I, I, I know what's about to come next is he's just fulfilling another prophecy. But I kind of got joy out of that because you could not break Jesus. Next one is, again, my, one of my favorites. So they, they do give him something to drink this time, but it's just vinegar. It's this cheap, disgusting drink. And as he stands up, to say this, he says, it is finished. I can't help but think there was a little bit of joy in that line. It's finished. You guys tried so hard to break me. It's done. And then, of course, the last thing he says, Scripture says, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, so this is it. This is, I'm going out with a bang, you guys. I'm screaming this. This is all I've got. As he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. They couldn't break him as hard as they tried. Notice, where did it end? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It all started there. It's all going there. Have you received that hand today? That's the message, Harvest. I hope... I tried my best to to, kind of talk about how big God is. I hope you see what big hands he has. If you're struggling with something, put it in those hands. Please, put it in those hands. Don't carry that around. Whether it's your salvation, a secret sin that you're struggling with, you don't have to put it in my hands. You don't have to put it in these hands. Put it in his hands. I'm going to pray. Uh, I asked the worship team to come up and kind of perform one of my favorite songs, and I hope you guys get something out of it too. So I'm going to pray real quick. Father God, we love you so much for doing what you did for us. Thank you for your hands, Father God, for going to the cross, for going to the grave, Father God, but those hands didn't stay there. They came up. We thank you so much for that. Father God, we we ask that you keep working on us, that you don't give up. We we have so much to, to place in your hands daily. Um, again, it's, it's just so easy to, to jerk stuff back from your hands because we, we want to take over, Father God. We're so proud. We're so weak. Lord God, just, just keep, 
keep working on that. Work on all of our hearts that we can seek you first and not, not self. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this song is...